have I got a story for you. Athleticism is the standard she held herself to until physically broken she finally conceded and then explored her insides which led her to discovering inner size <laughs> trademark it's not about what you're doing it really comes down to the why this shit is deep y'all and you're gonna be better for listening but first today's sponsor can openers we here at the pod have never been cowboys shit we haven't even fucking camped but with covid19 running rampant and shelves being disheveled can openers have never held such a high value since the desolate days of the cold war beans of all genes fruits of all sorts meats if your freezer's full and you want to deal with fucking spam what life-sustaining edible items isn't cannibal? You tell us. But one fucking thing we can tell you is that protein gets in your gut. How? Because the can opens thanks to a can opener. The single most prominent device that allowed our nomadic population to become settled and sedentary. The ability to store food without refrigeration and yet keep it fresh. Yes, can't openers did that. Now think, what's been your contribution to society? Can openers were simply responsible for fueling the entire industrial revolution and conveyor belt business brand, but I'm sure you've done plenty too. <laughs> no shame. We all play our pretty small parts in this interdependent symbiotic society. And the can opener's part is to break apart where those two aluminum pieces align. Breaking apart an already airtight seal of freshness and feeding for your savage satisfaction to indulge. Go ahead, gorge yourself on these calories. There's plenty more in stored for your satisfaction, thanks to a can opener. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. Since you're listening, you are clearly supporting the person whose story interests you. That's great. What would also be great is for you to friend, follow, and subscribe to the pod on all the places that we post. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, search us up. Spotify, Apple Pod, Stitcher, iHeart, Google Play, every fucking podcast platform, we can send our RSS feed. Rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate you listeners helping us get our pod off the ground and gain credibility for future guests. Thank you for your support. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. 
I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. On today's show, we are getting to know. And I'm going to put it out there. You may be our most famous guest to date, Jen, who will make anyone who looks at her Instagram feel like you are just not doing enough with your day. How are you doing, Jen? (laughs) Thank you, Sean. I'm doing well. (laughs) Dude, so something and like in the limited amount of um, internet stalking that I do, because it is the getting to know you pod. um, So I click on your Instagram and it's like, Helping mom, TED Talk, author, host of Fit Mama podcast. And did you actually come up with the hashtag inner size? I think I did. Fucking claim it. That's a trademark. Dude, that that inner size, I'm like, that's some thoughtful shit. People are are focused on the exercise and I'm like, the inner size is where it's at. Dude, I actually want to know a little more. Tell me about your, just how'd you figure that out? Where'd you come up with that? Because that, that's like, again, if you're, if you're all about your outside, that shit can go away so easily. Right. And if you're not happy with your inside self, which mental health, it just makes so much sense. But I'm, I'm, I'm just so interested on that. Like the coining of that phrase. Well, you know what? I mean, it actually began uh, probably the year after I started Fit Mama. So I started Fit Mama as a new mom. I knew as a personal trainer, fitness coach, I was a nutrition coach at the time. I had been a podcaster at that point for already over five years. I was into teaching people about nutrition and fitness. And it was everything from anatomy to physiology to, you know, all the physical style of things. And I was training people, I was counting their pushups for them, creating programs (laughs) for people all the time. And it was very much always focused on those two, what I sort of call superficial things, which are food and fitness. It's, it's food and fitness is the, is the whole focus of the fitness industry. And I truly noticed after, I mean, I was training people back in almost 20 years ago now to early two thousands. And I was training lawyers and doctors and all these people who had, you know, let's say their lives together per se. And they were truly not feeling good because there was something in there deeper than their physical that Mm. was affecting them negatively and they would push those two agendas oh i have to restrict food and i have to change my food and i have to go to the gym and i have to have to have to push myself push myself and at the end of the day all that pushing yourself and beating yourself up into submission to go and do these things you aren't really maybe feeling for really takes a toll and it truly doesn't get them to the end result that they want to get to so this is when i kind of started to really dig deeper and i mean i have a a, a probably so many different catalyst events that that made me personally look deeper uh, than the physical and the sort of the superficial, if you will. But definitely being a new mom, I mean, moms in general, I now work with moms exclusively up to this point. And I'm realizing too, that in that time when your body physically changes, or when you simply just don't have the 
the luxury, let's say, to eat a certain thing or do a certain thing and things are out of your control, if that is your only, you know, let's say, touchstone point that you're doing okay, Mm. then you're going to be left very unhappy. Dude, I think some of the most unhappy people in life are the Instagram models that are all about like the eight pack. And I'm like, dude, it just like, I, I don't know if that's, I, I get like the Greek Roman statues. Like everyone had a fucking six pack for whatever reason back in the day. I guess they were all farmers and oh, army guys, yeah. <laughs> right? It, but like, it just can't be a, um, a happy lifestyle if your self-worth is based around how shredded your abs are. And speaking to moms, like, good God, like talk about like, there's a place for that, but it goes away. It's fleeting, right? You feel bloated or your period and you're like, shoot, I'm not good enough. Yeah. Right. right? That physical does tie into your self-worth and you nailed it right there. And that's exactly it. And I am consistently talking just about that is, you know, your weight does not define you. And our society has a way of making you feel that way because it idealizes, you know, the very fit and toned person. There's actually a halo effect around these people where someone who is very fit and looks, let's say, quote unquote, healthy, also is smart and must be together and must be uh, yeah, right. so because they're dis- they're disciplined, right? They're able to control themselves and their urges and they wake up early to get jogs in and they're probably doing yoga as well all the time. And it's this idealization, which yeah. there's a lot of truth to it, maybe, if that person is healthy and fit, but if that six pack is based on deprivation and hardcore discipline and, and pills. <laughs> It, 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 there's is no fun, right? It's, what's that old adage, right? All work, no play makes them a dull boy, right? Dude, on, yeah, and that's that's the um something I've noticed too is like you hang out with some people and like they're like, um, what's your lowest calorie beer? And like if that's the first question when we're grabbing a drink when you go to the bartender, it's like you yeah. like like come on, man, this is not going to be an enjoyable night. Can can we just get some wings? You know what, it, it's it's <laughs> all about how you approach it. And that's the thing. It's not even that subjective experience. It's how that person feels. If they're in a space, a space of deprivation or, Oh, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have this beer and I'm a bad person and all this kind of dialogue, it all comes back to the thoughts that are actually in there and the intention before, because if that person is out and they're, you know, they're just, they know that they feel better when they have a low calorie beer because then they aren't having a blood sugar spike or whatever. Some that they know themselves well enough and they can make that informed decision confidently but if they're making that decision from a place of that superficial like oh my gosh i shouldn't i couldn't oh what are they going to judge me if i have a full calorie beer whatever it is then that is the place where there's actually a physiological stress response going on inside that person's body that takes away any of the let's say positive effects of doing the quote-unquote healthy behaviors you in four seconds just managed to make me empathetic to people that I normally hate. Jesus, uh-huh. you're good. Look at that. Fucking perspective. perspective. Right? Dude, I never even thought about that. But yeah, if you're fucking like so into that health thing where you've actually started to realize the effects of different foods on your body, blood sugar, energy levels, like that That's is a real, cool. Jesus, I never even considered that. 
Exactly. But it's all about where it comes from. So that's where I talk about inner size. And this is what something I talked about a long time ago was, you know how there's this very common term, I don't know, maybe you don't know, but in the fitness industry, people talk about, you know, working out if you want to get a six pack, whatever, but they always have this kind of comment that is abs are made in the kitchen. So it's like, okay, you can work out all day long, but you got to eat healthy, right? This is that kind of fitness industry, again, stuck in the food and fitness world. I took it one step further with my inner size idea and really have it such that I say abs are made on the cushion and that's your meditation. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Dude, the oxymoron in that is just fucking great. Just sit sit and breathe. Just connect to you, the essence of you, the, the breath that goes in and out of your mouth or your nose or your body in and out so many times a day. If you can have reverence for your body in this moment that your heart is beating, irrespective of what you're doing in your day, your heart continues to be there for you. And you start to have that kind of dialogue and connection with your own body. Then the choices you make on a superficial level that do truly have a deep impact on your health are coming from a place where they have the opportunity to be health benefiting instead of the opposite. Wow. And I'm, I know, I'm, and I'm, science. I'm, this is do, not, I know it sounds good coming from Jen Oliver, but this is not Jen Oliver's opinion. This is the science, Sean. And this is what's so cool. This is why I love the work I do because my first love was definitely physical activity. I was a physical child. I would flip around before I joined gymnastics at eight years old. I could do the splits. I could do walkovers and roll all over the place in positions that people were like, what's going on? And my mom said, this girl has to go into gymnastics. Right. So I was very physical, but I also moved beyond the physical in a way just out of who I was into being very fascinated by the psychology of humans. And I think it was because it started with my mom. My mom studied psychology and she went to university as a mature student to do her undergrad when we were all, you know, young kids. So she would come home from class and say, oh, this is what I learned in my psychology class today. And I would be beyond fascinated. So I really started to be interested in the human condition. And as a child, we moved around a lot and I was always the new person. So I would show up into a situation and it was lucky for me that I was athletic. I would join the team and people would be like, okay, here's my new friend, Jen. And I'd have friends, but I was always very nervous as the new person. So I was very observant. I would Uh... sit back, I would watch, I'd be curious about people. And that was my very, very keen interest. Once I got to university, University. I did. Pl- I played basketball at the varsity level. I was so interested in kinesiology, physical activity, all that. But psychology really underlined it all. And I was such a curious psychology student. And then that actually ended up leading me deeper into the areas of mindfulness and meditation and really deeper connecting into sort of a more spiritual metaphysical space, which is the heart. And now I do research specifically in the heart. And if anyone is interested here who's listening, you can search heart math, like mathematics, heart math. And there is so much science on the energy, the uh, electromagnetic field, the heart, and the wisdom of the heart. And it's pretty freaking fantastic. Dude, the more I talk to you in body, insightful people, the more, again, ignorant I feel. But it, it just... You're asking the question, so you're showing up. No, well, well I got... 
in your life, Sean. Dude, and maybe maybe that's like one of the reasons why, like maybe I just had this hole in knowledge that I was like, I'm going to start a podcast just so I can start fucking learning all sorts of shit. I didn't even know I should be learning, right? But it, on, on a sense, like everything with pulses, like does have waves and it like waves do affect things, right? Like oh. there, there are waves generated and those waves can make your cell phone ring, can get signaled to, to wa- have, help you watch Netflix, Bluetooth. And like, why wouldn't that also apply to basic energy and waves of your body? And when you look at it like that simply, sure, there's all kinds of science behind because it just kind of makes basic sense when you connect it to a microwave. How does shit get like hot in the microwave? Well, it produces this thing, this energy, and it has an effect. Can- I like that. It's such a good point. It's these things that we can't see, right? We know we get a sunburn if we're out in the sun, but we can't actually see the rays, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Believe that they're there because we see the evidence. And the same thing goes with the energy of our heart. We know love. We know what isn't love. We know that feeling. And sometimes even if we can't articulate it with our mind, we know it in our body. Right. And it's really, it's really, really cool to understand. And I know for sure, one of the facts that I found very fascinating when I started to learn about it was the fact that the heart and everything, as we know, in our environment has an electromagnetic frequency, like the table, the chair, the computer, everything has an EMF or electromagnetic frequency that comes out of it. Well, our heart has an electromagnetic frequency over 5,000 times stronger than our brain. Wow. Yeah, they've measured it. That makes absolutely no sense. But at the same time, like the brain does all the shit, but the heart is what allows the brain to live. So I guess on a real basic level, that can make some sense. It's the unspoken, right? It's when you look at someone's Instagram or you meet them or you see them across a room for the first time, you aren't connecting with their mind because you aren't speaking with them per se, but you connect with them at a heart level, even through a picture. You're connecting on a heart level through a picture more so than yeah. connecting through the mind? Yep. How, cool, is, right? how is that? So because the electromagnetic frequency of our heart, you will meet someone, let's say you walk into a room, they could be on the other side of the room talking to someone else. And you can be, you can already know that person is there. You connect to their heart frequency, even if you don't, you aren't aware of it. And same thing, you're just naturally attracted to different people online. You connect with them in a different way because there's an electromagnetic frequency that is emitted that crosses space and time. Is it... So when you say that, my mind, and I, I don't know why, maybe it's the electromagnetic frequency of my brain trying to calm my heart down, goes to, <laughs> goes towards like, is that some sort of a bias or is that just like a chemical attraction? Like you would almost think of that like pheromones, like, like you smell something and you're just like, why do I like vanilla instead of chocolate or whatever? I don't know. It's just how I'm fucking wired, right? Exactly. It's totally how you're wired. Exactly. It is like that. It is like that. So, so there's the, the, the world of energy. Okay. And you mentioned it earlier, energy, the world of energy doesn't work in the same way, let's say as the world of form that we think it is. And so across space and time, wherever you are, you can be connected to another human on this planet. You can be connected to another being that isn't on this planet at any point in time. And that is through energy. 
So if you know about the chakras and our energy systems as humans, we all have these spinning energy portals within us and everything around us is actually moving. Even things that we think are stationary, you know, there's a table, a chair. Oh, a yeah. Ball. Dude, when I, when I learned that, I think it was like 10th grade, might've been 10th grade chemistry class when they started breaking down atoms and electrons and protons. And I'm like, Man, shut, shut the fuck up. This paper right here is vibrating right now. It's like, yes, the molecules within it are moving and creating energy and they're craving stability and they're searching for other elements. And you're like, stop, dude, yes. it's a pen. Yes. And so that's why it's crazy because we're talking about something like love right now, which you can't see, but wow, does it create this different cascade of hormones, different cascade of energy, flow, all these things. So that's how, let's say, for example, Reiki, if you've ever heard of the healing art of Reiki, which is essentially uh, sort of, it could be considered like a hands-on modality, like massage therapy or acupuncture, but it's literally non-touch and it's based on the energy and you are using the energy of a person's body. You can do Reiki on someone over the phone. You can do it when you're not even in the same room. Yeah. Stop. I know. I know. I did my Reiki training when I was pregnant with my second daughter. So that was 2013. Now I did it seven years ago and she was in my belly and I would get Reiki treatments and she would come alive inside in a different way. There was things happening. So and she is a very different, you know, human, I believe because of her experience getting Reiki for two months before she was born. My simplistic, and I'd never heard of Reiki. Um, I feel like I had seen a movie. It might've been on um, Cinemax or maybe Skinemax by that point. It was like 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning where like these people <laughs> were like messing with each other by not like touching, but th there was like that intrinsic electric spark. But where my head goes is how does the signal get there? Is it the voice or d does this energy that people produce, is there actually no like gravitational limit that pulls it down. Like you would think of a bullet. If you shot a bullet, eventually that bullet gets pulled down by gravity, right? Yes. D does yes. this force, yes. is this force not subjective to gravity or is it like voice activated? It is, but it, it, it is, but with intention, energy can go anywhere and things are always moving. Like, you know, so for example, the butterfly effect, right? We know that something that happens, a butterfly flapping his wings in Japan can cause an earthquake in, you know, California or whatever. Little things have impacts on the system everywhere. So energy is constantly moving. So when you set an intention and you send energy, it doesn't have to be a physical thing to take physical form. Everything starts from nothing. It starts from a thought before someone built a table or a chair, right? Before even we created language, it first came as a thought. So it's a non-physical thing. Jesus, dude, that is so, so I just, um, Elon Musk went on Joe Rogan's podcast today, yes. or I guess Whoa. not on, but they posted it and yeah. he was explaining his Neuralink. Are you familiar with Elon Musk's Neuralink thing? Yes. Right. So his whole thing, and I didn't get through the whole conversation. It was actually out when I was, I was jogging, which um, screwed up my whole pace, but I was like, whatever, man, it's super interesting. So I'm just going to like have a slow, mellow jog today and listen to these dudes talk. But his thing, his, he broke down. Thoughts to language, to expression, to reception, to interpretation, to picturing. And he made speaking seem like the most 
ineffective means of communication in the whole fucking world. I was like, right? So 5,000 times less efficient. Exactly. Dude. And he's like, yeah, with this Neuralink thing, it's basically like, no, I'm just going to email you the blueprint and you're just going to fucking get it. And I don't have to think of a way of what your, what your biases are, what your perspectives are, what, what your, what are your educational experiences? Where, where are you from? So that I know the correct metaphor or jargon or way to word it so that there's no lack of interpretation between this picture in my head and your understanding of it. And it seems like Reiki is very similar where this emotion just gets transformed to someone without the interpretation. Am I thinking about that kind of similarly? Exactly. You got it. Man, that fucking blows my mind. You experienced Reiki over, how did you find, how did you trust this person to send you these vibes with a child in your stomach? (laughs) When I actually did this, I took a class. So I was learning how to do Reiki on other people. So I wanted to learn this. I knew, I know energy. I mean, we now know in science that anxiety, for example, can be felt by a baby in utero, by a fetus. Dude, I'm, and you even take that further. Like, why do dogs get nervous around nervous people? Because they're yeah. like, dogs fucking sense it. You're nervous, oh, man. So totally. why wouldn't a child that's connected to you just get those exactly. feelings too? Exactly. Not only because of the energetics, like you just mentioned, but the actual blood pumping through is different when I'm stressed out or anxious as a mom and it's going to my fetus. It's sending those cortisol, other, you know, noradrenaline, epinephrine, all the things, all the scary, scary stuff is saying alert, alert, alert. And it's my baby's now in alert. So I was very aware of this just in general many years ago and wanted to be able to understand energy in a way where I could influence it in my own world. Ah, so by... I, I, I don't want to say enlightenment, but maybe I'm just lacking the vocabulary. By becoming aware of this, yes. you can then actually control the energy that's coming from you and the type of blood that's pumping through you? Yeah, because the cascade of You hormones. say that so fucking casual, Jen. Jesus Christ. You're like, yeah, obviously. What the fuck? Because this is the thing. Our body and our mind work together one influences the other and the other influences the other so we can do let's say i right now uh a jaguar jumps into my bedroom and it'll i'm on alert i'm on high alert i'm like wow i go into fight or flight right okay Okay. that sends my body before i can even think holy shit there's a jaguar that jumped into my room i am already in fight and flight my body naturally goes in okay great But it can go the other way around. If my body all of a sudden senses some kind of danger or the other way around, my mind senses danger. Maybe the the physical was the Jaguar jumps in and I naturally just get into fight flight. Okay. Can I, can I pause you? Are you a fighter? Like, are you going, are you going mama bear and you're just fucking that Jaguar up or cause you're in shape? Are you like jogging and you're like, no, are you? probably mama bear i gotta say i'm a fight girl but (laughs) listen i don't want to freeze right because i gotta protect but here's the thing if i am just sitting in the room and it's my own thoughts that come in that are fight or flight scary movie type thing when you're watching those scary movies and you're fucking like man what's that sound 
I start thinking about my bills that I have to pay, or I worry uh, that there's a guy going to come someone to come in and rob me or steal my kids. I can get my body into that same physiological state that it would get in if a Jaguar jumped in. Gosh. So my body gets into that state. My mind can get my body into that state and my body can get my mind into that state. That being said, I can reverse that and my body can get my mind out of that state and my mind can get my body out of that state. So, and that, does that connect to a little bit of like the breathing exercise and yeah. the centering and this is the meditation. Gotcha. This is the yeah. breathing. This is the inner size where you become aware that you control your thoughts, that even of your autonomic nervous system, which is your automatic nervous system that does send you into fight and flight. If you can override that system with your thought and say, okay, there's actually not a Jaguar coming in. I don't have to fight. I have to pay my <laughs> bills. Yes. But, and you can rationalize it. You right. can take the blood to a different way let's say i mean your blood yeah. is pumping differently because those hormones aren't jumping into your nervous system right and into your bloodstream so i'm looking at the reiki thing almost like hypnotism where if you're trusting someone to influence you on a, a, a electromagnetic frequency way and i just wanted to say that again because i feel like i sound smart when i say that <laughs> <laughs> um like Am I thinking about it the right way where you're talking yes. to this Reiki person and they're having an impact on how your body is feeling? A hundred percent. Because this is the thing. It's the placebo. You just said, you didn't say placebo, but that's what you were talking about. The being influenced. There is a large percentage of that that is placebo effect. And one of my favorite authors and researchers who studies this, so if this is all interesting to you, he wrote a book called You Are the Placebo. Oh, and he wrote another shit. book that I Dude, love called title. Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. His name is Dr. Joe Dispenza. So Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself and you are the placebo, they both go into this detail specifically about the fact that we create our reality every single day by the thoughts we think. And I talked about this in my TEDx talk, how to love yourself to the core. I gave this specific example about how we have over 80,000 thoughts in a single day. And 80% of those are negative or repeats from yesterday. And all those thoughts create the cascade of hormones that pumps through our blood all day long. You might be the one to help me come up with a solid theory because I've asked a bunch of people who have um, right. who I've spoken to. I feel so it, it almost goes to Lord of the Flies depravity, where if people are left on their own, like Walking Dead, like people yeah. are just fucked up without government making you not be fucked up. And you just said eighty percent of your thoughts can be negative. Why do you think people are kind of, it seems hardwired to be predisposed to negativity instead of positivity? Great question. It's a survival mechanism. It's a survival. That was right? my theory. Okay. So I'm right. You heard yeah. it here first. All right. Keep going. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> no. Well, that's what I thought. I'm like, we just need to be fucking skeptical because at our core, we were like, if I trust that the tiger is friendly and furry and wants to cuddle, I will die. If I trust this stranger and I only have one steak and I'm about to go wherever, I only have one jug of water and I'm walking through the desert, I will die. So there's this normal skepticism biologically in you to just think, fuck them, fuck this. It's going to kill me because it helps you to survive. 
Absolutely. And they actually did a study and this is where we, we, you know, we can appreciate and again, empathize and be grateful for those who do have a hyper alert state such as anxiety or are prone to being in a hypervigilant state such as OCD or something like that, because they did a study where they took all these very hypervigilant monkeys out of an environment in the wild. So all the anxious monkeys, they took them away and they you know, kept them away from all these totally chilled out monkeys and the rest of the habitat. And you know what? Within, I think it was like a day or a week, the whole habitat gone, dead. Every single one of them died. Oh. And they needed these hypervigilant monkeys. To just keep reminding them like, dude, quit smoking pot. Shit ain't cool. You can't fucking chill all the time. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So, but then, so, and then I was reading Malcolm Gladwell's um, Talking to Strangers. And ha- have you read that? one yet. No, I love Malcolm Gladwell. So thank you. Dude, he's fucking, he's, he's a gangster of sociological, like just thoughts, right? Like the dude just fucking looks at shit and he spins these, he weaves these tales together to make points. It's great. But one of the big things in that book is like when people meet people, we are predisposed towards belief and truth. So I, I found that very odd that like, I believe you are what you say you are. You're believing I am what I said I was, right? And maybe like you actually looked at my Spotify and you're like, okay, he has, he actually has podcasts posted or, okay, other people have spoken and he's not like setting me up in some way, right? Like you were, I messaged you. I don't know you. You live on the other side of the country, but yet you were like trusting enough to come on and speak to me versus I'm going to run away. This could be danger. So I'm like trying to battle those two thoughts of why do people default to trust. So Malcolm Gladwell is saying, and like he has all this proof about like judges believing criminals and shit like this, yeah. but initial internally, we want to be neg. Are we, is it because we're like trying to fight the negativity and we feel bad about it because we're so civilized? No. It's just our survival. It's just the same way why we categorize people and ultimately let's call it stereotype people. It's truly for us to be able to say, okay, that person's safe. We'll put them in the safe box. That person's a predator. Put them in the predator box, right? Yeah. So you meet these requirements of like, oh no, he made eye contact. You trust people with eye contact. Oh, he stood upright. Oh, he had a firm handshake. Oh, met three, three requirements. You're good. Right. And we have this, we have these six cents also. And that's why I think sometimes when these very, you know, high level criminals or murderers or something, we go, oh, but he seemed like such a nice guy. And we're all like, but I had this, you know, we know, we kind of have this trust that we have these guides in our body. And then when we're like, uh, okay, I was obviously wrong. We can lose trust in that. So we become again, more hypervigilant, right? It's truly for survival. Do you think that six cents goes to the electromagnetic kind of waves that you were talking about the emfs so interesting you know what no actually i mean yes they're all interconnected interconnected but the sixth sense is actually another part of our nervous system you know how i was talking about the parasympathetic and the sympathetic that fight or flight yeah the parasympathetic is part of that autonomic where it's our rest and digest space there's another stem of the nervous system called the enteric nervous system ent E-R-I-C. It's like you knew I was writing it. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Go check it out. This is actually also known as our gut brain. 
And they have found this division of our nervous system that is all throughout the visceral organs of our gut. So in our core, under our diaphragm and lung area, down towards our pelvis, this is our enteric nervous system. That's why we get our gut feeling. And they've found that there are neurons, the same neurons we have in our brains, in our gut, in our enteric nervous system. And that, so for me, the sixth sense has always been like the fourth dimension. Like I can't get past left, right, front, back, up, down, right. you know, like I just, I've, my mind can't, can't wrap around it. So like the sixth sense is just like why you cross the street. There are some neurons below, you said beneath your diaphragm. Yep. They're in the, think about them. They're, they're like weaved into the, all the visceral organs. So you're stomach, your liver, your kidneys, all the stuff that's down in your core area, that specifically your digestive area and your um, intestinal tract has neurons. So just the same as when you get that gut feeling that's like, oh, I shouldn't go into this dark alley. It's there's neurons in your gut and you're sensing something before your eyes can see it. Yeah. See, that's so weird. But I guess if you think of it like skin senses heat, right? Like all, all your organs have neurons, right? Well, we have, a, we have a field outside ourselves, right? Like we think we end at our fingertip or our arm, skin, Stop. hair, Dude, or you're, whatever. You're, you're fucking have, me up right now. What? Yeah, everybody has an aura that is around them and, and some are bigger and brighter. Some are darker. Some are different vivid colors. It's all dependent on your energy and that's your energy field. Is there a typical, um, like I'm thinking of the bubble boy in Seinfeld, but even though he wasn't in a bubble, like it was just whatever, like the, the, the plastic sheet, but now I'm thinking of like a circle around you. So do I have like a four foot radius for my aura? If I have a more pure heart, do, is my aura larger? Yes. Yes. Cause you're shining more light. Essentially the way oh. the energy meridians and everything in your body that allow light through, you're just a light being. And we can be dark and even just we understand the difference of a light or darkness and dark is just like stagnant energy, let's say a lot more negativity or darkness or trauma or what stories, thoughts, blame, low level vibration of guilt, shame, regret, all those type of emotions mm. are associated with very low vibration. So it's, it's like those molecules that you know are already moving. Yeah. Are they moving and they're spread wide apart and feeling light or are they really tight, constricted, jamming up against each other? Dude, and that would be the difference. That's such a great breakdown. Um, and it's probably because um, I'm, so I'm a teacher and I've taught in a seventh grade science classroom with one of the greatest teachers ever, Papa Bear, if anyone ever listens. Um, but he, the way he does density and just having seen him teach density and thinking of circles in a confined space and the energy that those circles have to either, either spread and create pressure, right? Or create density when they're lacking energy. And yes. the way you're describing the, the like darkness and the negativity, you're no one's like ever. And it's why fucking gothic people don't run five Ks. They're slothy, right? Like they're, 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 they just don't have that energetic vibe to them. And that would make sense for the aura not being as and, and wide. Exactly. Like you talked about with the science experiment, as it fills up that space, it's like there's a finite space. So when we feel like our body is the finite, when we're stuck in that superficial, we think our body is everything. Mm. And it is, you know, then we think 
that there's this finite space. So again, we push up against our own boundaries. And yet if we can emit more light by spreading out ourselves even more, getting out of that constricted space, we go into what we call expansion, then we can emit more light. More light flows through us and we can expand. And truly, we all know that we connect to the next thing, right? If we're moving and this desk is moving, then I'm connected to the desk at some level. And you know, we saw this really well. I love this one neuroscientist called Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Have you ever heard of her? I have not. Oh, she did a TED talk that was like world renowned. So you can find it. But she she wrote a book that I also loved called My Stroke of Insight. She was actually a neuroscientist of some sort. She knew the brain more than anyone. And she was on her elliptical machine one morning and had a stroke. And her left side of her brain, which was her logical side, kind of just shut down. And she was dominated by her right side, which is the present moment side. And she could see how her arm was melding into the elliptical machine and she could see her as molecules not as physical form while she was having a stroke holy next level shit dude yeah so she didn't like she didn't drink some like mushroom tea or have a little lsd before she jumped on there because that's exactly what you hear when these people take those kind of drugs and it almost makes me wonder like is that what those drugs do? Do they turn off that logical side? Because I've heard the argument, and I've actually spoken to people who, um, fuck, I haven't posted it yet, and I'm I fuck up the name. The dude went to Peru and went on like um, ayahuasca. Yes, Jesus, I knew you would knew it. If yes, dude, my man fucking was back to back nights on ayahuasca tea, and like was try- ayahuasca. Like, it starts with an A. Look it up. Ayahuasca. Yeah. yeah. And the way he described it, I'm like, does that stuff just turn off the part, like the, the, what you think, you know, part of your brain and allow you just to be open-minded to new notions instead of holding on to these preconceived realities or truths. So yes and no, it does. Not only does it turn off some parts, it also turns on other parts. And there's areas of our brain and glands and different parts of our actual neuroanatomy that are more stimulated. And that Dr. Joe Dispenza I was talking about earlier does a lot of neuroanatomy and and interesting information around the pineal gland, which is a gland in the brain that gets stimulated through meditation, through different breath work. If you've ever heard of Wim Hof, he does a type of breathing thing that makes him you know be able to jump in freezing cold temperature water and stay there for an insane amount of time without getting hypothermia and he's actually controlling his physiology through the breath and that's through stimulating different parts of his brain nervous system etc so it's very there's so much interesting science behind that have you gone through or done the ayahuasca experience i have not personally no but it does intrigue me absolutely it does it really is something that i'm curious about um and i know a lot of people who have done it but yeah no i haven't done that yet what's holding you back i like how you said yet is, is this a bucket list thing yeah, you like know, you're I'm gonna be the 65 year old lady never say never. yeah like no um but you know what i don't know i think it's a timing thing and right now i'm in a very expansive time in my life and i'm definitely open to plant medicine and experiencing those things. So I feel like it's not something that necessarily I have to seek. It will sort of seek me when the time is right. 
and it's I'm more of a yeah like I used to be very in my younger years I was someone who I would learn about something I'd go after it I was you know it was very what I would call my masculine I was into push 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 you know study hard pass the test get on the team beat everyone you know tackle people in rugby do the thing and now I'm in a phase of my life which I will call my feminine or my yin phase where I am very much open curious and and in a being state where I don't have to push for things to happen and I know when the time is right it's it's gonna happen Jesus that's so much trust what gives you that sort of like certainty you know I feel like I've done the work to get to this place where I have that level of trust not only in myself in the universe itself in in life in love in just knowing that anything anything can happen and i'm just going to be here and be fully present and i know i started meditating and started reading books on meditation and mindfulness probably about 15 years ago and it was about 10 years ago now that i went on a 10 day silent meditation retreat where you could not make eye contact talk you could not write in a journal you could not read it was 10 days of meditation 10 hours a day and it was one of the most liberating experiences for me and what most people would consider that to be so hard i found it to be really an opportunity to know myself meet myself and not be scared of her and start to get to know her in a way where you know did she live today? Did she actually show up and be her best self? And that wasn't necessarily always about achieving, as I had usually thought. It was more about just being present. Now, especially once I had kids, which my kids are now nine and seven, you know, just being became more of a way. And one thing that one of my first teachers taught me was to be okay with dying in a way to meet yourself to live every day like it's your last and you could die tomorrow and to not fear death which you know i can't necessarily say for certain that i'm not scared of dying i mean i will i could cry about it right now if i really want to think about it. imagine if i died and yeah. I, you know all the things but but really it just is always in my back pocket to know i could die today right so how will i show up today and how will I let things happen and trust versus try and make things happen? Because I can look back now in my life and see where the best things happened when I got out of the way. Um, and it's almost like you were reading my mind because I wanted to ask it, you, how did you go? Let me see if I can organize my own thoughts. So when you said university basketball player, that varsity, that's in Canada, that's high school, right? That's not like college. College. Yeah, that's college. Oh, yeah, college. so you were a fucking. So yeah, then yeah. that reinforces it to be a D or to be a college basketball player. You're yeah, just that's our highest level in Canada. Yeah, dude, you're just you gotta be a grinder. Uh, like I'm a worker. Like ah, right. Like like that's the mentality of so many of them to come into this. The universe will bring it to me. Kind of phase. Was the 10 day silent meditation, was that like the big turning point for you to you know that what? realization? Great question. I love it. Sean, you definitely pick up a lot. So I'm very impressed. I love your questions and I love where you're going with this. Actually, no. So the 10 day silent was a good one. It was a big 
big one. But actually, I think looking back, actually, I know because I've written a book on this and I talk about this specific thing in the book. I know looking back, I was still in the superficial in that phase of my life. And it wasn't until I had my second daughter and I have two kids now. So that was my last that and she's now seven that about a year after I had her is when I started Fit Mama. So the business I now still run, it began when she was about a year old and it was fitness and exercises for new moms. So it was home videos, you know, now they're just everywhere. But at the time there wasn't anything for new moms. They didn't have, you know, any guidance. It wasn't specific. It was very general. It was based on men's bodybuilding and what if they had a belly or something, not, (laughs) not what it is today. And so I started this And within three months of creating some of these videos and starting this, what I now look back on and know was a too aggressive way to work out as a new mom. I actually injured myself in that phase of my life. So when I was grinding, I was still grinding, starting up this business, getting moms out there to grind themselves after they have a baby and push themselves back into submission to get their bellies flat or whatever it was, I was still stuck in that phase. And then I ended up giving myself a really bad back injury where I ended up in the hospital twice in a week. I fainted multiple times from pain. I, I was teaching multiple fitness classes, taking on private clients, traveling all around, teaching people fitness in their homes. And I all of a sudden couldn't get out of bed. And it was the single most devastating experience of my life. My husband, a basketball coach, was traveling all the time. So I was all on my own and I couldn't so much as bend over to bathe my kids. I couldn't take care of them as a mom. I had to hire someone to help me take care of my own kids. And it was, let's say the experience brought me to my knees in every way and humbled me to a place where only then was the first time that I really understood that hustling, grinding, pushing, valuing only the doing, succeeding really wasn't the way. Because if that was the only way and now I couldn't go out and run and lift and be this you know, fitness thing that I thought was my thing, well, who was I as a mom? Who was I to my kids? Who was I as a wife? Who was I as a human? If just because my physical got taken away Mm. and that sent me on a whole different journey. Yeah. And that almost goes back to, um, again, inner size where it's that's where inner size was born for sure. I was about, I, I, I just, yeah, I, I, you could totally see it when people, it's almost like the varsity athlete, that's the stud and then high school ends. And it's like, well, now you're whatever. If you, you go like stupid stereotype, now you're fucking working at McDonald's and it's like, you're not the dude anymore. Ain't nobody coming to see you anymore. And that really fucks with people when their whole identity and rapport with their, their social circle is based upon their, them being some physical specimen. Exactly. Absolutely. And it really, you know, it gets back to that identity that you just mentioned, which is what I had that opportunity to sort of ponder a couple years before that. Like this was three years, four years after I went to the meditation retreats when I injured my back. So I had sort of that connection with who I was at a deeper level beyond my physical, because I went through that transition. That was after I finished playing, you know, varsity basketball and being the captain, being, you know, I got these degrees and I was this and you know, it was like all of a sudden, what now? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That void, you know, mm-hmm. especially without like the, um, 
God, like, like everything's based around the game, right? Like we're preparing for the game and we're going to dominate the game. And then we're going to dominate the postseason and the conference and, ah, uh, ah. Uh, and then it's like, and like, even yeah. if you win whatever the championship, like there most likely will be a tomorrow. And if you no longer have that grind and goal, what gives you that fulfillment, right? If that's what your life has always been fulfilled by. Exactly. And that's when, you know, and that's a lot of the work that I do with moms too, is really helping them to get deeper into themselves around their purpose and what they really are passionate about beyond, you know, your life's purpose isn't to lose weight. Your life's purpose isn't even to raise these kids. And a lot of us think, you know, that that is our, our sole life purpose now is that we are a mom, but it, it does go so much deeper and we do ourselves a disservice if we don't dig deeper and curiously ask ask those questions that truly light us up. What makes me happy? What do I really need? What do I want in this life? This one short life that I don't get to do over. I've got to go back and ask because this is, um, it's giving me some negative energy and I don't want to pass that along through my voice. Um, how do you go on a 10 day, 10 hours a day, silent retreat retreat and not and, 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 and like <laughs> absolutely not because I'm sure the conversations within your mind with yourself were fucking riveting. Like like the depths that you went with yourself, I could only imagine what what that was like. But I'm I'm thinking on a more basic way. Like it's funny that the the meditation didn't get you to the realization of inner size. It was more the injury and your um, battle with what is my identity now that what I almost felt my identity was, was taken away. So like, why do you think it took so long after a 10 day, 10 hour a day, you're fucking Buddhist basically, right? Like, why didn't you get it? What was holding you back from getting it? I have to say it's, without a doubt, it's environmental and it's conditioning oh. and it's the society I was brought up in. I know for me from a young age, it was very valued that I would go to school. I would do well. I would be a doctor. I would play on the teams and be the captain. All those things were expectations societally um, in my own personal family culture if I've expected of myself after a while. And it was just a natural thing. So I think while I was away in that very and plays it was I knew me and I got that chance to see me and then put back into my environment all of a sudden it was okay yeah I am that person yeah I could I could meditate longer or I could go to the gym longer or I could I could just do this you know you know and all those things kind of creep back in to then go this is valued this is being reinforced in my environment so you think you were there while you were at the retreat like you really, you got that, like what you're saying, Zen moment of like, it's not about this grind. Yeah. And then coming back home, is that more, it, it or like, and I guess I'm associating it, not, not that I'm calling you an addict, but you know how addicts have right. triggers where you hear a certain thing or you see a certain thing and it immediately like, boom, I got to go. Yeah. So like yeah. You, you're watching and you see like a beach body fitness commercial and you're on the floor doing burpees. Like, is it that kind like what, I guess I'm asking, what was it like triggering you people's comments, family, 
expectations, like being like Jen? My really? expectations at that time, I was a personal trainer. Mm. And like I said, I was going into this time of having a baby. So when I went to the meditation retreat, I was actually 10 weeks pregnant with my oh. first baby. And so did you know that, that you were pregnant? You know, you, yeah, you know at that time, right? Yeah, stupid question, my fault. I found out, and this is the reason I actually pulled the trigger and did the retreat. I wanted to do this meditation for a while, and I kept finding a reason. I have to go to this conference. I have to learn this. I have to take a course. I'm going to leave their life for 10 days. Like, what kind of luxury is that? Blah, blah, blah. And then that was my first taste of giving myself a gift in that yin sort of feminine way where I didn't need to justify it. I, that baby in my belly gave me the justification I needed to say, Hey, Chris, to my husband at the time, uh, you know, we had just been married for a little over a year and I was like, yeah, I'm taking off. I was just starting my business. I was working hard, <laughs> you know, and I was like, yeah, see ya. I call you in 10 days. Can't text me, you know? So it was, that was a ballsy move on my part. And the way I had the balls to do that was honestly, because I had this baby in my belly and I said, this I'm doing for me. And that was my first actual that I can remember starting to do things like that for me. So things like that, that I knew, but then there was all this pressure. It was like, I was, I was at the gym and I was training at the gym. So it was like, okay, you know, people that get pregnant, they talk about weight gain. They talk about this. Oh, how's this fitness lady going to be right? So I assumed, and no one ever specifically necessarily said that to me, but I definitely assumed I had to look a certain way. I had to be a certain way, you know, and throughout my, both my pregnancies. And I honestly loved working out. It wasn't like I was forcing myself to, I truly loved it. But I was at the gym at 6am. I remember 5am up to the day I gave birth, I went to the gym twice on the day I gave birth with my second and, and went for a walk and put together some kind of furniture, I remember. So it's it was all about that doing, doing and achieving and still trying to prove something. And once my you know, I got that back injury and it was like I had had my two kids and they were a year and three years at the time. And I had no choice, but it really finally gave me the lens to look at it and say, you know, what do I really value? And Mm. when I leave, you know, to go to the gym, is it because I am benefiting and I'm getting something out of the gym or it's because I'm trying to bust my balls and put myself into submission again to say that I did a good job, right? Because I started to notice this, this other side of me that had, yes, gotten me to where I was, but truly wasn't actually going to be the same thing that got me to the next level. I realized that. God. Yeah. And that, that goes to, um, how, how I will be much more empathetic to the super fit people that I'm jealous of their abs when it's like, maybe they're just eating because they realize that's, what their body actually works better on versus I'm starving myself because I have to look this way. Exactly. Exactly. Do you think, you don't think you were wired that way? You think it was more of an environmental thing that made you feel so meritocratic? Did I use that right? Because I I always try to throw that in there because I think I discovered (laughs) that word like three months ago and I was like, holy shit, a meritocracy. And I don't think I ever like changed the, whatever the, 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 the wording or the subjection, the, The place so I just fucked that explanation all up. But anyway, is is that what you do you think environment? I can honestly say this. Was I born this way? No. We are born in our 
in our fullness and we have a balance between those two sides let's say the masculine or the feminine that i described the push 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 and what i call the doing and then the being and the being present so it's like our left side of our brain which is very logical and and planning and all that versus the right side of our brain which is more feeling and creative and present we have this balance of both sides and i think again it's our environment our you know our nurturing and our upbringing that takes us away from our very nature as human beings where it, for a long history, you know, we were not working the way we work. We were not doing things the way we do. You know, now we can check our email all hours of the day. Like this didn't exist even 50 years ago, right? It's yeah. so different. And this is where a lot of the issues of the 21st century come in because we are actually not designed to be achieving, 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 achieving all the time. And we watch that in our kids, right? Yeah. I mean, our kids specifically, they just are playing. They're in play mode, right? Yeah. They're not, you know, even five minutes after they're doing it, I'm like, what did you do? What did you, ah, they're on to the next present moment, right? Yeah. yeah, they get like, my daughter, she's that, and she'll be cleaning her room and you walk in there and you're like, what were you doing? She was like, I was moving my beanie boos to the shelf mm -hmm. and then they wanted to have a party. So I had to help them. And you're like, and, and at and at the time you're like, why do I even fucking care about a clean room? Jesus, have your little beanie boo party, man! Like that's that. Yeah, she's creating, and yeah. in that creation space is open for possibility, and that's what I love, and that's what we try and cultivate with our own children is to give them that space for creation. Because for me, I specifically know that I lived outside of my creative space for so long because it was, what do I need to learn? What do I need to consume? What do I need to put on the test that's right? What do I need to get validated mm, for? Right. What do I need to practice so that I can win the game? It was all a means to an end. And I'm now just at a point where I value for the first time in my life, the actual journey rather than the destination. Yeah, the enjoyment. Because when you get there, it's just so unfulfilling if you haven't enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. um, let me let me ask you two things because that just made me think of this. Um, do you think, so, and, and I'm on no kind of level. Again, I'm a middle school basketball coach in Southern Delaware that I think I've coached, actually, you know what, I'll take, I've coached a couple kids in middle school that have been drafted to the, um, major league baseball, which was an, a fucking anomaly. And some dudes who are like D three solid basketball guys. So you can see like little work ethic things. Um, yeah, I've, I've coached maybe one or two D one athletes. Um, they're not in the MLB yet, but a guy that I coach with who was a high school boys coach went to middle school girls. Mm -hmm. We often talked about the difference in approaching guys versus girls. And we mm -hmm. always come to Girls seem to be much more centered on pleasing and doing it right. Yeah. Am I, are, are we yes, being chauvinistic correct. or are we no. being gender bias or are we science based? Yeah. And I can go laugh at people when they call me a masculine schmuck. 5,000 years of conditioning is what it's called, but don't go out there and be a masculine schmuck, but do understand <laughs> girls and boys. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, 5,000 years, five, wait, 5,000 years of conditioning. Yes. Yes. All right. Explain. That women have been oppressed, that witches were burned at the stake, that all these different things were happening to women to change the way that women were 
appreciated, revered. They used to be in a different way than they were over the last 5,000 years. And that is, that is something that is now coming to a head. And thankfully here in 2020, there is a, a, a very much an uprising slash a clearing of all that. And it's a beautiful thing. So are, and I don't even know how to, I wish, dude, the way you fucking speak again, just point, just is reminding me of my ignorance of like larger scale issues. So I feel like I stumble over my words when I ask questions. Um, are we, are we kind of wrong to, it's not like you're setting your coaching philosophy on like girls are pleasers. So let me speak softer to them. Let me always reaffirm them. Let me let them know that it's okay. This is not you. Or like, should you really consider that? Like, is it being biased? Are, are we like keeping women where they were in that 5,000 years of oppression by considering like, it's okay if you're not making your jump shots, you tried your best and I still love you. No. So yes and no. So good. I love that. So no, you're not keeping them there. But what I, you know, I, and I talk about this with my husband and he and I specifically talk about this with regards to not only with our girls or different areas of coaching because he's a coach, but in sex, over communicating safety, particularly ah. to girls and women, because naturally, let's say in a sexual encounter, women, and again, 5,000 years of oppression of men thinking they own women and can do whatever they want, et cetera, et cetera. Many, many women, whether in this lifetime or again in their genetics, which is now proving that we have the feelings in terms of epigenetics, we can have the DNA passed to us over 15 generations of oppression, of rape, of all different things that could have happened in our genes right. to our ancestors. And so what you do with communicating safety is that you allow for them to open up and grow and be in that space. You don't keep them there by saying, oh, we like you anyways. It's over communicating safety. This is a safe space. You know, I'm going to coach you here. Is it okay to coach you? I know that we're, we both have have the same goals here that you want to get better and support the team. And I do. And, you know, you can even call out those things. I know for me, I do. And it's like, okay, this is not a situation where we're going to do people pleasing, right? That, you know, and we can highlight those things that many, I mean, maybe hopefully girls these days, but at least in my age of last generation, are aware now going, oh yeah, I am, I was, I don't want to be anymore a people pleaser. Oh, I see where I'm doing this. Young kids are not as aware yet, but if you highlight for them where they don't have to cut corners in compromising who they are mm. and they can be their full expression in a safe way, then you're doing them a service. So by me telling my daughter, it's okay for you to be mean and want the ball and try your hardest to get the ball, even though the other girl is going to get the ball. You're, you're allowed to do that on the field. You're not hurting her feelings. Afterwards, you can talk to her and be friendly, but right now you get to be selfish and you don't care about her feelings. Like that, that's a decent little thing to be thinking, or that's like a mansplaining. No, because it, it, what it is, is called overcoming objections, right? She, you, maybe subconsciously, you don't even, you haven't even spoken about it with her, but subconsciously she is worried that that girl is going to, you know, be mean or she's yeah, going to cry, be tease or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. And so if you do that by overcoming objections in advance and saying, Hey, you might be thinking, and again, don't put things in her mind. You can actually ask her and if she can articulate oh. it, but if you have a sense you can say you know you might be thinking this and it's okay 
okay if you are or you're not, but this is, you know, and then you go into it. So you give her, give her the opportunity, pausing, zip your lips, waiting, listening, actually hearing a girl or a woman speak without then talking over them mm. is everything. Dude, you fucking said it right there. And it, it's funny because when you're like, um, without over speaking them, I'm finding out, especially because we, we do this pod, like we're not looking at each other um, because I worry about like the video and the audio screwing up signal or whatever. But it it's helped me to realize like the interjection and the tempo and timing of how to make a point, how to make a comment without dealing with body language is a thing. Mm-hmm. But what you said about women, it's like, it's amazing when you ask a question, like, why didn't you get that ball? Or how would you think she was going to be mad at you versus what were you thinking when the ball was at the 40 yard line and you were going for it? And it's like you're imposing your bias or even making people's minds go to a certain place by the way you ask a question to a child or to anybody. And that's, that's a huge thing because it almost makes me wonder about like that energy thing. Like you're hearing a word, it could trigger something. And then all of a sudden the, the, the person's mind is just like going down a road where you were like, no, no, no. I was trying to actually find out your truth, your true intention versus how my wording made you feel. That's a yeah. huge thing yes. to think about. That's a big one. And I just want to pose this to you to, to realize this is that a question in and of itself is a dominant position. Okay, so it puts you at a dominant state of attention. When I ask you a question, I'm dominating you because I'm asking you a question. So if you're a coach, you're already in a dominant state of attention with these girls, boys, whatever, men, it doesn't matter. You are already in that dominant. So when you come just with the question itself, forget the intonation of the question, it's dominant. And so then it, it puts someone back into what well, they're in a submissive state already but it could put their back up right and it's like oh my god he's attacking me but really you're just seeking to understand so again realizing that that i'm already in this dominant position here how can i make it such that it's not as dominant right asking them a different question or asking them to ask you a question puts them in a dominant state of attention and then from there you could be at a more level playing field you said so much that made me think so much. I had two things to ask and I made two bullet points and I only asked the one because I didn't write down the second one. Jesus, <laughs> I got to get better. Dude, I had never thought about that. Like just the basic fact that you're asking a question is a total power play because it's like I have the authority to make you yeah. answer. Yeah, it's like being interrogated, Dude, right? And you're sitting at the table and someone's interrogating you, standing up over you, asking you questions. Wow. Man, so I, I don't need, I, I really want to, like in my head, I had that second thing and I was like, Jesus, I really want to hear what her thoughts are on this. Because again, like super smart person have good thoughts, make me smarter is what my stupid brain is saying <laughs> <laughs> at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Man, it, so maybe it was that the environment aspect. How did yeah. you... Growing up, how do you think you became, I'll, I'll just like label it ultra competitor or however you want to take it. But like, what was it about your upbringing that made you into that person if a kid starts off so balanced? 
I think it was definitely, like I said, what was reflected back to me as being valued. So I know my grandfather, my grandma and grandpa came from Slovakia with a suitcase to Canada to make a better life for my mom. And she moved here when she was 11 and he really wanted her to be a dentist and expected, expected, expected. She Mm. was expected all these things. And I think that just became one of those things that I believed I was a more noble person. I was a better person. If I was the smartest, strongest, blah, blah, blah. If I worked hard, it made me a better person. And I think what I realized slowly along the way, but ultimately was this realization that I didn't have to achieve to still be worthy. Yeah. But so, and you, you said this and my, actually one of my friends, who I've been trying to get on this um, pod Haywood, but it's funny. Like if you know somebody, they're like a little more hesitant to come on here. Cause they're like, man, I fucking talk to you all the time. Agreed. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but Haywood's talked about um, black kids. Why do they have PTSD? And like, why do they act certain ways when they get in trouble or why do they respond culturally these ways? And it's like, dude, they're fucking genetically wired from slavery, man. They've been fucking whipped. Yeah, you know, and, and, yeah. and that's exactly where my mind went when you were speaking about women with 5,000 years of oppression. So going back to you with this competitive nature. So if that's like the genealogy, if you're, if you're being your DNA is like that grind, the, 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 get the better life, mm-hmm. that's gotta be hard as hell to like battle back. You know what? I mean, yes and no. I really figured out an efficient way to actually achieve the things I wanted to achieve, right? I learned along the way working harder was not necessarily working smarter. And working long, long days did not mean I was going to make more and more money. And how... I essentially was able to get myself out of it was by making my reality different, right? Not buying into, you know, I, I started out my career in a corporate setting. I was a manager of a really big fitness facility. I had a salary and bonuses and all this at the age of 24. And I looked at the people that were running the jobs ahead of me that I could have moved into as I kept moving along. And I thought, I want nothing to do with that job. I want nothing to do with that lifestyle. And I realized that I got a choice. Mm. I, I, my grandparents did come here from another country to allow my mom and her descendants to have a better life. So what, what was that? And I just started asking the questions. What did that, what did I want in this life? Mm. And I think that got me out of it because when you're just doing the same thing over and over and thinking it's going to make you happy, I mean, I, I clearly knew it didn't. And I left that job a couple of years later to pursue a master's degree. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to consult. I wanted to help more people. And I just had a bigger mission that, it didn't, it didn't mean I had to work harder or that I had to give up who I was in terms of success. It just meant I could have everything I wanted. I didn't have to choose. What you just said about the foresight is something that I, um, so I, I grew up working in restaurants and I remember when I graduated high school, have you ever worked in restaurants or done the restaurant gigs? Oh yeah. I was, a I was a cocktail waitress who had to carry a huge tray. I got tendonitis in my wrist that summer Ain't onto the, the dance floor truth. and sell people shots and stuff while they were dancing into oh, me. God. Let me tell you that. Dude. All right. So <laughs> wait, let me, let me make a note. Cause that cocktail waitress store, I can't imagine. Um, we're into, or in, um, Canada. Yes. Right. Yep. So at least they're politely sexually harassing you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's something. And 
I feel like if you work in restaurants, it's almost like it's terrible for you, but at the same time, it's great for you because the dynamic of people you deal with. But I, I, the fucking walking away with money every night and like the immediate, it's such like social media where if you post something, you get like a thousand likes. You're like, oh my God, that was awesome. I'm valued. And like (laughs) someone slips you a fucking hundred dollar tip. You're like, oh my God, I'm awesome. I'm valued. (laughs) And and it's so related. But I remember leaving high school and thinking, y'all, I'm going to be a restaurant person. I've been in restaurants four years. I know how they work, you know, whatever, like stupid, ignorant youth ambition. And then one day, like I realized like, fucking Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Like, why is my weekend going to be a Tuesday, Wednesday? And and like, why is my sleep schedule going to be fucked up? And if, like, if I progress on the chain and I look at who are the bosses, do I want those lives? And I was like, fuck no, that ain't living, that's serving. And like, you can serve, but you don't have to serve in that way. And, oh, I, and I, that's what I realized. I realized I actually did love working hard. I love right. to serve. I love being the server that I knew my tables when they needed water before they asked for water. Oh, dude, hundred like, percent. I love that. Nothing better. But I also realized how soul sucking doing it for someone else to get the big bucks. Right. So I feel like that's something that is super valuable for people who get caught up in the moment. But you also want to have the foresight when you're planning to just think, well. When you get what you feel is success, so you're a waiter and all of a sudden now you're the GM and you're running this thing. Well, what's that going to look like? Because just because you accomplished your goal, are you then going to enjoy having that? And I don't know if enough people think about that versus think about the, oh, that's next level. Let me go next level. I just want next level. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. Yep. You're right. I agree. And I was definitely one for... I wanted to enjoy each day and I, I could enjoy each day even if that meant working, but how, how could I bring it to that next level of enjoyment? Okay. Working for myself. I now see, you know, and I had those kind of clear direction points along the way that I just started to know myself. And it wasn't that I wasn't willing to work hard or put in a nine to five. It was like, I was willing to put in a 12 hour day if I didn't have to do the nine to five. Cause I could do that on my laptop at a, you know, here or there on an airplane. How's your family with this? Um, I, I, is it rude to call it a flip in mentality? <laughs> you know what? I mean, my family, they're very supportive. Like my family of origin, my siblings, they, I mean, they know me, my, my family knows me and I, ha- I really haven't changed. That's the thing. Like from, for all intents and purposes, I'm still let's say doing all those things that I used to do in that way, but it's like, there's more time now to go away and to visit and to do things. Now my Mm. family lives in Canada. My husband and I have moved down to California with our kids so we can enjoy the palm trees every single day and invite our family down here. Right. Yeah. So that's, so you don't feel that you've changed even though you've completely changed. Explain that to me. Cause that, that, that's, that, that, that's like the fourth dimension, right? Paradigm. Like, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I really don't feel like I've changed. I guess the part is, is like, I'm also at a different place in my life where it used to be I'm going to school, I'm achieving, I'm getting a job or I'm playing on the sports. Now it's like, this is my life, right? And it's for the first time I feel in my life that I don't have to prove anything or achieve anything or try hard anymore. And I can just be and enjoy what I've done in a way. Right. And it's kind of like just that new phase. So I don't feel like it's, I've changed. I just feel like it's what I get to spend my days doing are different. And, you know, they were very different back then when I lived with my family versus now, you know? 
Yeah. It, man, I, I just, I, it's funny because down here in the States, you know, like so much of the goal of kids is, well, with parents, like they'll, they'll spend $30,000 to have their kids play travel ball and train to get them like that D1 scholarship offer. And you feel like it's just like cocktail party, party fodder where they just want to be able to say their kids going like D1 or whatever. And the kid fucking just hates the grind and like hates the waking up at six and just doesn't enjoy it, but they make them chase that. And I guess I'm almost putting that thought process into like, did your family invest that kind of time and resources into getting you to that level? I would say no. I mean, it was definitely something where I wanted to please my parents and I, I, they wanted me to be a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor until I didn't. And I realized I didn't when I fainted probably five times over the course of two years at the site of blood. And I, thought, <laughs> I, I want to be a cardiologist. I'm like, that's called blood at its best. Like I, this is not for me. So it was, it was that, but my family was very supportive. And, you know, I think because they saw me achieving in different areas, it was like, they knew that I was going to be okay. You know, it wasn't right. like, oh, she's a disappointment and she's like on drugs under the bridge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where it could easily be that for some people where again, that immigrant mentality of like a doctor, a lawyer is success, like, like these professions. And then basically if you became like a school teacher, they'd be like, you're dead to me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> My family was not like that, thankfully. Yeah, yeah thankfully. Jesus. No, no doubt. Um, What? I want to ask, because I bet you have some fucking great cocktail waitress story. Dude, how tall are you? Are, are you like 6'3"? I'm 5'9". No, I was like what? the tallest person. I know. I was the tallest person in my high school, almost. Almost the tallest. I was always the center. And then I went to university, and I was like guards material i was like how did i end up in this position so i know one of my best friends is six two though and she uh she and i played five years together at college ball so she's uh yeah she's six two i feel short when i'm hanging with her but otherwise i'm pretty tall do, do you guys just go down to the beach and fucking dominate like beach volleyball <laughs> you know what not enough <laughs> That's what that, that's like the second career for so many college people I hear who are like ballers and have that height. They just go out there and they just fucking like make people feel stupid on beaches, oh, spiking the ball and all that. So fun. Dude, so you've written an actual and I I again, limited internet stalker. Um ne- haven't read your book and author The Love Fit Mama Way. Yes. Like you actually wrote how many pages in this book? Oh, good question. Actually, I don't even know. I don't have a copy right beside me either. Usually I do at my desk. It is about, I would say it is about, you know, it's not like a ginormous book. It's, it's like a kind of like a, let's say self-help genre book. So it's about, I think 60,000 words, maybe 60, 70,000 words. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was amazing to honestly, to be able to write this book. It was a gift. I learned so much in my journey, uh, you know, throughout my whole life, a lot of the things we've talked about, but just most especially through that back injury, I teach a lot about the core and I, I explain a lot about the the physiological and anatomical aspects of the core, such as the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, and the inner muscles. But I also explain sort of the mind-body connection of 
tapping into your core and the mindfulness around the experience of the motherhood journey, knowing that, you know, it's a very stressful time for moms if they're spending that beautiful, precious first years of their baby's life, you know, trying to bust their gut at the gym, trying to push their bodies Mm. to do things that really physically are not needing to be done ever, but it's most especially right after they have a a baby, right? Whether they had a, a surgery to get the baby out, whether they've birthed the baby vaginally, they need time to recover. There's rehabilitation that goes on. And that was what I was really passionate about bringing out was going from that no pain, no gain mentality of being an athlete, which, you know, served me well up until that point and even through the birth itself. And then once I had that baby, that was my time of yin and rest. And I did not need to push myself into the point of ending up in the hospital. So I really wanted to save other people from that. Why did you choose... I shouldn't say, why did you choose a book? But that's just what fucking came to my mind. I'm sorry. But like, why not like, again, just um, post different messages, do different videos? Why did you go through the means of a book? Like, are you just naturally a writer? You just enjoy the research and the write? No, but I knew that I had a message. I knew I wanted to, to sort of, let's say, wrap it up in one place. You know, I mean, it's, it's, there is information overload right now. People are very much, they can read blogs and get recipes from here and there. They'll read stuff. They don't know where they got it from. Yeah. And it wasn't, I wanted some credit for this or anything, but it was a mixture of my story and real valuable mind body information that I felt needed to be out there. And there was nothing like this on the market. I, I essentially really wanted to create what I wish existed when I was going through this experience where if someone had given me permission or that I was waiting for and didn't need, to be waiting for but give me permission to rest and to be loving the fact that I'm home recovering and I'm not out running around instead I was seeking validation from people who were telling me way to go you're running around Uh, and I just didn't even know to value that and now I can honestly say I have people reaching out to me from around the world on a daily basis saying thank you so much saying I read your book and now I took this precaution I did this instead after my last baby from this one this happened instead I had less pain. I had less this. I had more of this. I had that. All these positive things from around the world that I think, I mean, I have a podcast. I have, you know, different YouTube videos. I have all these things. But in that packaged up way of a book, it allowed people to really get the message in a more deep, meaningful, meaningful and profound way. And I've been able to do a media tour with TV and get on different news shows. I've been able to get on different radio shows like Jenny McCarthy's show on Sirius Satellite Radio and talk about this to an audience that I truly believe I, I was meant to meet up with. And the book was a beautiful way for me to sort of bridge myself to the audience right dude because there's something fucking legit about like whatever you got a blog like me like i got i got a fucking podcast does that get me like a press pass to the super bowl right like like who fucking knows everyone has a podcast but when you say fucking author you're like yeah dude it was published somebody fucking believed in this enough and i had the vision and the research to turn this shit into a bound piece of literature that's legit It was a big, um, it was a big message to myself and it was almost like, really it was, yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, I knew I could do it. And again, achievement, achievement, I knew I could do it. I was like, if anyone can do it, I know I can do it. (laughs) And so it kind of was this challenge for me that I knew I could do, but at the same time, it was one of those things where I, I got, I got kind of 
everything I wanted out of it. I got both sides of it. I got the ego side of it, which was like, yeah, I was holding my own book. I remember that right. day like it was yesterday where the box came, of all these books of mine, and here I was holding my own. And if someone orders this on Amazon, they can hold their own. And it's like, wow. And it was so very much fulfilling in that egoic way. Right. And at the same time, it was, it was, it was just another thing right? It was just another thing that I knew that I could do. And it gave me sort of that, you know, pat on the back, but I thought this doesn't define me either. I'm not better than so-and-so because I have a book. Oh no, you're totally better than so-and-so who's just (laughs) posting their own fucking thoughts without writing a book. I'll, I'll say that. Like, (laughs) don't, don't, if someone listens and thinks, Hey, I do a video a day and I'm just as good at her. I'm gonna call bullshit. I'm sorry. You don't have to, but I'm like, dude, there, there, there's something again, like I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm a, whatever. I'm a fucking middle school English teacher. I think I've written short stories for a college class and that there's, that's as much as my writing. But if knowing the limited process that I do about how to get a fucking actual book published, especially when you were saying there was nothing kind of like it, nope. that's a, like that's next level type shit. That that's that's definitely not that you're setting yourself apart to be set apart, but it, there's a legitimacy to it. Thank you. And the other thing I loved what you were saying is it it can give these people or these people Jesus that sounded bigoted. Um, it gives permission, which is empowering. And again, with the five thousand years of oppression, to women to like you get that example of like it's okay, chill the yes. fuck out. And you hear that, and there's something that's almost comforting. It seems. To females especially, and it's empowering for them. And we need more women role models like that for us out there, right? Like there'll always be one being like, you know, hey, get up. Hey, you know, you need to, but there wasn't enough of the other side of it. Right. There was an, I, now I like, I mean, shortly after I hurt myself, I couldn't do the exercise videos anymore. So completely, you know, fit mama went from exercise to inner size that quick, but it was like, I, there's enough of that already out there. And I really wanted to offer that new perspective. And I realized I got the firsthand opportunity to learn it. Was the injury what gave you the time to write? You know what? No, being organized, getting good coaches. I had coaches who helped me um, write the book because I was not a writer. I did a master's thesis that was like a hundred pages and it was like a big research paper. And I remember doing that and saying out loud to anyone who would listen, don't ever, ever let me go do a PhD. Don't ever let me write a book. Don't ever. And then here I was doing it all over again. So I, you know, I knew it was something that was in my heart because I didn't feel passionate about it, but I truly just got out of my own way. And I was like, you know what, who cares? I'm not trying to write an eloquent, you know, romantic novel that is describing the colors of the rainbow. I'm literally just giving facts and I'm really trying to get a message across. And I just said, I got to get out of my own way. People need this. And your coaches are just helping you to organize these thoughts into, into like chapters. They're paring it down. They're like, Hey, you're drifting off topic. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. And what was your, I saw a number of coaches and I also had a few editors. So it was a, it was a quite a process. Did you publish it yourself or did, did you sell it to a publisher? I went through a publishing company out of California. All right, fucking that that's what I want right there. So dude, you're walking into these like what are you cold emailing people? Like what's your publishing pitch that made them say yes? 
Well, that was a, a big part of it was that there's nothing else out there. A uh, second part of it was just the fact that I was so passionate about what I was doing and I already had a brand. I already had a number of fit mamas I was working with. I had, oh. ha- you know, I'd been working in this area knowing that there was a need Gotcha. and uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a no brainer for sure. So they just saw it as like a market void where they were like, yeah, oh shit. Absolutely. And then they were, yeah, and they were, uh, it, they were really helpful in getting me a lot of PR connections and spots on different TV and radio. And I traveled all around to, you know, Santa Barbara and San Francisco, and it was really fun. Yeah, and and you had mentioned this, and this is what cracks me up. And I forget who the um who the comedian was who said this, but somebody said like, take yourself back to like ninety five. Who would you have guessed society thought better of, Snoop Dogg or Bill Cosby? and then you right and then and then you fast forward and you're like snoop dog is so much ice cube makes fucking children's movies what the fuck are we doing you you never say that back in fucking 88 when he's with dre and nwa being like wait ice cube's gonna be a legit jay-z is gonna be a legitimate billionaire entrepreneur that is lauded right not to judge that's for sure dude well when you drop jenny mccarthy I'm like, talk about a fucking 180 that Mm -hmm. you just become accepted from. Cause like, she was like, I remember her MTV wise, but it was like a serious porn thing with her. Right. Mm -hmm. And now she's a total like mom in power. Am I correct? I I haven't, I haven't like kept up with her new or second part of her career, but that's like what she's into. Right. Yeah, and she's married to Donnie Wahlberg now from New Kids, and she's yeah, she's a, like a media mogul now. Yeah, it's amazing how society is just um, like they, they don't hold it. it society it's, will embrace you if you stand in your power, and that yeah. is what she did. Yeah, no, that's a great way to say it because it's not like she's fucking running from it, but it's not yeah. like she's like that's fucking defines me, you yeah. idiot, right? Like. Longs it. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, Jesus. Yeah. Talk I, when when you said Jenny McCarthy, I was like, holy shit, dude. It's amazing that she's now like a Nickelodeon mom. Mm-hmm. 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 How did you get into the TED Talk thing as well? Was that before or after the book? Or does the TED Talk thing help because or happen because you're an author and that gives you the legitimacy to do it? Um no, I applied. I really and this is the thing I really realized in my life is like just asking is the most powerful thing. And so many people will sit on the sidelines in their life and just go, Oh, how did they do that? And how did they do that? And I really respect you specifically for that exact thing is just, you're asking questions and you're, you're seeking to understand whether it's one specific thing or you're just asking for what you want. And I just asked for what I wanted. I, (laughs) I wanted to apply. So I applied, I applied to, I think maybe two, three different ones before I got accepted and then I got accepted and then I just bossed up and I got up there on stage and now my TEDx talk got oh, the one, the first one I did, I did two of them and the second one, unfortunately, they had an audio issue for the recording so oh. it was never able to go live but the first one did go on YouTube onto the official TEDx channel for TED, um, yeah, for TEDx and has now over 600 70,000 views or something. So it's moving on up. So dude, like you've played basketball in arenas. How did that compare to 
Or are you like the cool person on stage with the microphone in your ear that you can't really see and you're walking around and you got like the slide clicker and you're just that fucking thinking about, I was so nervous. I was going to say, dude. Yeah. man. Yeah. I was so nervous. I, I never liked public speaking. I never liked being the center of attention. I don't even like having a party, a birthday party for me. Cause I just don't like that type of level of attention. And I was very nervous doing it. I, I'm so glad I did it. And I was even more glad I did it when I did the second one because the second one was a million times easier because I had already done one. Right. But, um, you know, I really truly believe that really the, you know, the things in life that truly are such, you know, the ones you look back on as some of those sort of highlighting experiences in your life are really the ones that you pushed yourself outside of the comfort zone and and did something that was scary. And for me that year, that was my like big scary goal. I wanted to put myself out there and it, it kept, because I knew about that talk probably for about four months, five months in advance of doing it, oh, man. there was a level of energy that I had in my body for living, for being that person who was going to be up on stage in six months. Fight or flight, I fucking survival. Yeah, I shouldn't have interjected over you again. That was really piss poor hosting. No, I apologize. Okay. But it, it does it. Like it takes you almost to that like naturalistic, like, I'm gonna fucking do this and I'm gonna fucking kill it. And you're just like empowering yourself, right? And you're just feeling yeah, that energy. You fill the shoes. Like you put out those shoes. You go, okay, I'm gonna be these this this big girl shoes thing. I'm gonna go do that, right? And 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 in the journey from here to the next six months, when I show up on that stage, because if I commit it, I know I'm gonna do it. Who am I going to be when I stand up on that stage who I'm not right now? What can I learn through this process? And so how many people are there? Because in the video, sometimes I feel like it's fake laughter and there's really only like eight people there. You know, at, at the one I was, it was about 150 maybe or something. So it wasn't huge. I've seen some where there are huge audiences, but yeah, you can't tell. Same thing. It's just a dark room. Yeah. And how much of your outfit choice went into you thinking, I don't want to get up here and just fucking sweat through this thing? Totally. Oh, you know it. I had I actually <laughs> looking back through throwback pictures recently because I post some throwback pictures all the time of old things. And one of them I noticed while I was looking, I had like five pictures in a row of what was I going to wear to the TED Talk. So it's funny. <laughs> um, I was pulling the peeps. I was pulling everybody. Yeah, I was going to say like that. That's a huge. I guess I should ask how huge of a part did you feel your image up there was going to be compared to your words? That's a great question. And actually, it's funny because I, I go back sometimes and I haven't recently, so I really want to go back and read some of the comments on the YouTube um, video to actually see because I think there's like, you know, there's thumbs up, there's thumbs down. And I know that there's a lot of both. And I'm like, okay, like I, you know, there's negative comments here. And actually, that was one of the first experiences that I had where I read negative comments. And it really didn't phase me. Like, and I know that I knew that on a visceral level, like I didn't have that pit in my stomach while I was reading, you know, someone saying, it's hard to listen to this girl. She's, I don't know what they were making fun of what I, how it, what I, how it looked. Right. And it was like, oh, were they? You know, whatever it was, it was like, this message doesn't, doesn't sound the same coming from this lady or whatever. Right. And it's like, okay. And was it, I, so can I, I can, that, can I pause you for there? Was it based around the fact, and I'm imagining just based on what I've seen on Instagram, were you fit giving this talk about it's okay to be unfit? And they almost saw you as like hypocritical. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fucking idiots, man. Like right. whatever. God. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just want because again, like I haven't, I actually haven't seen the TED talk or you know dug through the comments, but like you could just see fucking people hating 
while they're whatever. I don't want to get into making fun of people who I don't know, <laughs> but like it's always be those people. And that's and for me, the big thing was realizing it's like, you know what? I, I didn't get hung up on that. I didn't, you know, I remembered it that someone had said bad things or whatever, but at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? Cool. Someone's always going to do that like that. You know, you've made it when someone's bitching about you. Right. So it's yeah. like, whatever. I, I'm not doing this for anyone else. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Um, so here's the, another, the people who are ready to hear the message will get it. And that's the thing. Yeah. And then you would even think like, and again, like it was, it, I'm I'm thinking in my head, like, wouldn't it inspire you to be like, wow, there's this beautifully confident fit woman up on stage who actually rested. So if I rest and my goal is to be fit, I'm seeing the results of that by having relaxed. And that can, again, be empowering to be like, dude, I was out with a back thing. I just had a kid, like whatever. I'm fucking gaining weight or losing or gaining flab or whatever, but yet it's okay. And you get back to being what you want to be, not by worrying about how people see you, but by actually enjoying doing the things that make you look this way. Like, exactly. Because it's a lifestyle right? in the end. You want to keep it for your whole life. Yeah. Right. Like, like it, it's, I don't have a six pack cause I'm fucking like, I, I enjoy bouncing on the trampoline with my daughter. And if a byproduct of that is that I get abs or my fucking quads look decent, like I'm not doing squats so that if I go to the beach and wear some short shorts, people are like noticing me been like, damn, look at them quads. You know, look at that teardrop. It's like, no, that's okay too. Right. And I truly believe if we don't judge ourselves, we can't feel judged by another. And that's true liberation. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Um, what was your, how much time did you spend in mirrors practicing like pointing or gesticulating, which is not another word all. I love to drop. Gesticulating. Not enough. Yeah, cute. No, not at all. No. Uh, you know what? I, I, I had, this was already a couple of years ago and I definitely had a harder time watching myself and I, I, I really just wanted to do it. I didn't want to do the practice. I wanted oh. to just go there and be, you know, in that place. In the and moment. I, I definitely, uh, yeah, could have practiced a lot more, let's say. No, fuck that, man. That's awesome. Because then it's more genuine, right? Like your your, your natural expressions and shit it are coming was. out. And I think, you know, I'm a little bit of a rebel. And that's, you know, sometimes it works in my favor and sometimes not. But I, I lo- by that point I, in my career, I loved speaking. And I spoke on a lot of big stages. And I, I very much either had a bit of a framework I was going with or was sort of just, I knew my content so well by then right. that I could just ad lib. And I think I, you know, maybe, maybe cockily, cocky ish, <laughs> however you say it, you know, just wanted to, to, to keep being in that element. And really, Ted was a different beast. So when I practiced for my second one, the way that I could have practiced for my first one, I nailed it. And I was like, oh, that's what it means, you know? So it was like, I really got a, a good visual of what it took. And right. it was over and over and over standing in front of the, I was doing it in front of these glass mirror things or whatever. And yeah, I practiced it over. I sent it to a whole bunch of people after I recorded it. I did it live for a whole bunch of people individually. So I was really uncomfortable and, oh, wow. uh, and that is really what helped me. Yeah. And that's the second one that actually didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, right. Gotta love the universe. Just reminding you, hey Jen, no matter all this fucking grind you put in, look what can happen as yeah. a result. Bam. Yeah. You're right. So true. 
Oh, dude, that's fucking glorious. Oh, I'm so sorry, but to laugh, but at the same time, it's hilarious. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sean. You're awesome. Yeah, I know. Now, now it's like I'm almost mocking you, but I'm not. I promise you, I'm not. It's just I love the irony, and just again getting to know you, like that competitive grinder and like, you're just feeling like, man, I fucking got, th-. and it, it, it's a life lesson, right? Like no matter how much you prepare, there's something that can happen where it just goes to shit and you got to be okay with that. You got to fucking roll with it. You can't let that hang over you. Totally. So true. All right. Um, so let me ask you this and we'll see if it's getting any better the way I ask it. Um, something I do to try to end the podcasts. Can I get your best first for last we've saved the best first for last sponsored by abstinence waiting makes it worthwhile my best what first for last best first for last is that a code i'm supposed to understand no so there's no code and i again like it's me trying to be clever so you know how people say like the best for last Okay. So the best first experience, the best story of a first time you for last. And I I don't know how to like, I've, I've actually debated. And I guess while you're thinking, I'll try to like tread water. I've debated like, do you like preemptively, like when we were messaging, I was checking in with you last night. Hey, are you actually going to come on? Cause I was nervous as hell. And it's like, do do I shoot her this message of like, hey man, be ready because at the end at some point I'm gonna ask you for your best first for last? Or do you right. just drop it on people because then they don't get to like prepackage it as much? Yeah, okay, okay. I get it. I get it. Okay. Well, yeah. it's coming to mind and I like to go with my first thought because that first thought that pops into your head is your right brain and yes. it's what I consider to be right. And yet left brain then comes in and says, Oh no, you should probably tell this story or that story or this or that. So my, my right brain, my here and now is going to say the first time that I came to California, like I said earlier, I live here now, but the first time I remember, and I still always, every day when I'm sitting outside or looking around at the palm trees and the mountains and all the beauty that is around me that I've surrounded myself with every day, I still remember and go back to that and try and channel that first time that I saw this beauty that was this landscape of California between the ocean and the beautiful trees and the flowers and the weather. It was like I had met, I mean, I'm a Canadian girl, grew up in the snow and I never wanted to ski, snowboard, skate. I didn't want to go outside if it was cold. I was miserable and I was a gym rat. And now I can be outside freely and it's like a freedom. I, I just remember that first time when I was like, someone lives here. I can live here. Yeah. How did that, well, what was, were you married and you and your husband decided to go to LA? Where was he working? Was you know it what? a job opportunity? Actually a mutual friend of my husband and I, who we, we met at the university, like I said, where I played basketball and, um, and one of our friends there, he was a professor. So he was actually my TA for biomechanics and he was teaching me all about biomechanics. And then he was getting this job down in California in LA and he was going to be a professor down here. And I'm like, what? How can you just do that? Like, we're Canadian. <laughs> and just go get jobs in America. Like, there'd be a lot more of that. And so I really started to go, like, how are you doing this? And I had never been to California at that point. I just, it was this mythical place I knew that was beautiful. Right. From, you know, TV, whatever, Hollywood or this, that. But 
it was, I, we, you know, Chris and I planned a trip down to visit him and he took us all around and toured us and we got to see all the beaches and the, you know, Beverly Hills. And, and it was just like, how do we do this? And I have this, still have the picture on my desk. I'm looking at it right now of Chris and I at that, it was at like some bar or something we were at on Pacific Coast Highway and our friend took it of us. And that was the, I, the moment I looked at it, I'm like, we're moving here. And that was, I would say now almost 12 years ago. And we started the figuring it out. How the heck were we going to do this? And at first it was just a lofty thing. And really until last year when we're like, okay, let's just go move. Did it become reality? What was the biggest, was it like, how do we sell our house? How do we find jobs? How do we get a, a, a visa? How do we afford something? Like what was the visa was a big piece. The visa was a big piece. Yeah. And he was employed at a university, which there are only a few universities in Canada. And if he wanted to stay at his job, it was either in that specific city or he would have to go to another city where there's a Canadian university of which I can tell you all of them. I didn't want to move to. (laughs) I loved where we were and it was better than anywhere else. I wanted to be in Canada. I just knew we wanted to go South. So yeah, it was mostly a visa situation and then it was a working our tails off to be able to retire him from his job. Because okay. I was already working remotely. I had started my first podcast in 2008. I was doing coaching online and in person. And I was doing that personal training, like I said. Once I had kids and I started Fit Mom, I was doing online coaching. So I was always remote. I'm from a very young age, as early oh, as you know, being a teen. When my dad worked in the, he worked kind of in a tech role, in a consulting role. He worked from home on his laptop. And I was just like, this is the oh. lifestyle for me. I knew I wanted that. So there was, I was never going to stay long-term in a job that kept me in a city. No Dude, this coronavirus quarantine. And so I'm, again, I'm a teacher and I'm, I'm mm. teaching from home, like virtually and being able to just organize your own time and schedule kind of oh. your own day around it and the opportunities that allows you to have. I'm like, this is the fucking life. I might figure out a way to try to coerce someone into letting me just do this shit and be like, can I just be effective in this manner? It's so, freedom. I know. I had my first taste of freedom. That's another first, my favorite thing. The first time I checked my email on my BlackBerry while I was inside at the grocery store oh, lineup shit. or something. BlackBerry, was, Crackberry. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I can be this efficient. Check my emails, get back to my clients while I'm standing in the grocery line. Like That was my first taste of true freedom. And that was well over a decade ago now. Oh my God. All right. So I just made a great note and it might not be it. So the, this, do you have time for me to keep talking to you for a little bit? Cause I know you have kids and, and you're actually, I do have kids. I, I know I have a few more minutes. Yes. Okay. So, um, I was going to ask about California, but then I, are you, and I'm not trying to be rude, like by asking you like how old you are kind of an age or how much do you weigh kind of a poundage thing. But I have spoken to a lot of people who are trying to get into that, like fitness, health, fitness, coaching, empowerment thing. And they really struggle with finding a way to make that a full-time job as far as a means. So are you like a subscription based kind of a thing? Are you an advertisement sponsorship kind of a thing? I guess in a weird way, like if they're listening and you could give them some advice about the grind of how they can be health coaches and actually make it, make enough money to make a living out of it. Would you mind doing that, or is that too personal of a thing? That would, you know, what that would be. A, yes, I will absolutely love to because this is a true passion of mine. I actually have been doing this over the last four years. Starting in 2016, I started to coach 
online with practitioners from all over the world. Specifically, I was focused on helping clinic practitioners. So things that were in the allied health professional area, such as acupuncturists, chiropractors, massage therapists, naturopathic doctors, fitness experts, etc. And I was working with them to help them create online businesses. So I still do this to this day. I love that. It's a great large part of my consulting that I do. And it's a passion of mine to help others get out there in that way. I 100% believe in it. I 100% know that you can make a living at it. I 100% know there are a million different ways to to make a living at it and I teach all those different ways and I really truly my one recommendation is to think of yourself as an entrepreneur rather than an influencer because it's easy to look online and be like oh this person has 200k followers and everybody's drinking this shake that she's promoting or whatever that lady or man or whomever may not actually have a viable business. They mm. may not have, you know, they may not be doing well. Looking online and looking at someone just by their numbers tells you nothing about their actual business. So if you think about yourself as an entrepreneur and you're not so worried about vanity metrics or just promoting, you know, the latest diet or shake or something, then you really get into figuring out what you stand for, figuring out what missing area out there that you can fill. For example, when I started talking about pelvic floor back in 2014, when I, I just recently came across some of the research that I was doing, when you hashtag pelvic floor on, let's say, Instagram, you will, you will come up with thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of hashtags now. And when I started, it was an 8,000. It was just beginning. So for an example like that, it's realizing where there's an area missing, where there's something that you fill, and then positioning yourself in that way and creating really great resources for people, really great things that they can watch, learn, consume, putting your best stuff out there. I mean, I helped Chris grow his entire business and create his membership model and everything. And it's, it's really that when you put on your entrepreneur hat and you truly believe that no one is you and that is your power and is. you have the power to create the things that you wish existed out there, then you can step into your place and go. Jesus, dude. So Naval or Naval, um, I, I believe he says his name Naval. Have you heard of like modern day philosopher kind of guy? He was on Joe Rogan's podcast. Have I don't think heard? I have heard of it. Yeah. N-A-V-A-L. Um, okay. Super entrepreneur, angel investor, like awesome guy. He was on um, a podcast for the first time in a year. He does his own, but then he was on with this guest. Anyway, he was speaking about how um, replication at best will make you number two because the person you are emulating right. will always be one yeah. because they're genuine to themselves. Yes. And what you said right there is so fucking like find the hole, then create your value and just fucking know about it. And the fact that you're able to like, you know what I'm gonna do for my Ted talk? I'm gonna fucking get up there and be me. Cause I know this shit. Like that's fucking, I'll, I'll say it. Cause you had said it earlier, dude, that's fucking ballsy. Like, dude, that's ballsy to be like, I fucking study this enough that I can just go up there and be me because it is me. Mm -hmm. So then you would go for a more subscription based business model more so than like trying to get ads based on your numbers for these people you who know, are trying I, to yes be. Yes and no. So definitely it depends. And right now, and especially in the fitness industry, there are a lot of subscription based models and they have really, really big, you know, followings. So it's not like, 
you know, you're in competition with them per se, but you want to think about what you have to offer and why someone would choose you over them. When for $5 a month, they can get all these 10 different, you know, workout people's workouts and your app, they're going to pay that much more. Right. So really understanding what it is. And then, yeah, it's, it's just diversifying. So for example, like having the book, which is, you know, do you make a lot off a book? No, it's a little bit every time, right. Every sale. And I know I have all the royalties to my book, so it's being smart as to, you know, who owns you in certain different ways. Mm. It's also being smart as to, you know, creating resources for people, whether it's if you create programs or create courses, or if you create, um, educational things if you can create like there's so many things that you can create so I really encourage you to get under you know out of kind of the 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 rules of what it what you should do when you go online and just start to get into the creative space of what what is possible right and so for example I mean if you're someone in the fitness industry or you're recommending people eat this or drink that or take this supplement or whatever you can as easy as anything go on to a you know, Amazon affiliate and become an affiliate where you get a special link for each and every product and you can recommend. So then when you're saying, Hey, Sean, take vitamin C, I can send you a link to Amazon and you click on that link and I make a couple of, you know, cents or dollars or whatever the case may be. And so diversifying in all those different ways is really a good way. And it's also just really getting very specific in what you're doing and not trying to be everything to everybody. Like when you are, especially in the online space, especially in fitness, which is a hugely large market and quite saturated with leaders. It's one of those things where you really want to know your stuff and you want to go a mile deep, not a mile wide and know everything about everything. Jesus. Yeah. Cause like it's, you're a fucking expert and dude, I could tell within, and again, I've not spoken to you. I've, I've started following you so I could, hopefully I was like, oh man, if I actually follow her, maybe she'll say yes and come on kind of a thing. But like <laughs> just listening to you speak. And I think I wrote that it was like 38 minutes before you even got to a you story. Cause you could just fucking talk about your, your knowledge. And, and, it, and it wasn't like hard for you. It wasn't cumbersome. It was just like, conversational and like almost common sense because you are a fucking mile deep in this easily a mile. You, you might be fucking kilometers deep, right? Like man, because of the Canadian thing, I should have been using kilometers the whole time instead of miles. (laughs) I'm in America now. Yeah. But no dude, that's great advice because then people do want that influence, but they don't put in the research and work to be able to just be seen as an expert. Yeah. And Clearly you're fucking, you got that expert stuff. How big is that business background to you? Like you studied that too? Cause you had said psychology stuff it, it, you know what? or you're learning yes, as you go. I psychology. I, you know what? I studied psychology. A lot of my business training was in, um, like just on the front lines when I remember I mentioned I was in corporate and I yeah. noticed that big oh, yeah. that was a lot of my business training in terms of sales. I was, that was all my sales training. I got, I was working for a company that was very, very into sales training. So I did a ton of that for years and I was really, really into it and I loved sales and I didn't think I would be into sales, but I actually just realized that sales was sharing what, you know, mm. you have like, Hey, I have a gym here. You can work out at, I'm so passionate about it. So it was like, sharing what I have and offering it to you. You can come in any day of the week, right? It was like, oh, this is so much fun actually. And so 
when I created in my business, I was just excited to share and help people. So it's really having that kind of an understanding. And then I was able to, I mean, I, like I said, I started my first podcast in 2008 and that was at the very, very beginning of online business. And I, I mean, I had people reaching out to me from all over the world and I was like, this is so cool. I love online. And I just, from there, I just started researching, learning, doing, and learning about online marketing, learning about all the different things. So I've been in that industry for well over a decade now and hired multiple different coaches. I love going to conferences. I love learning. And I'm truly a lifelong learner as I know you are. So it's one of those things where it's just like, I'm learning as I go. And what I knew two years ago, I is completely different now, especially in the online space. What was going on three months ago now with COVID is completely different. So it's beautiful to be in a place where I truly feel I have the freedom to not only work in my element of freedom online, but also just be on the forefront and keep on researching every single day. Yeah. Cause it gives you a purpose to just keep learning versus oh, yeah. like doubling down on what you know. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that right now with the business that I do and the the way that I recommend people with their businesses in terms of niching and getting really, really deep into what they're talking about, it's like I've been talking about the same thing now day in and day out for five years, six years almost. So it's, it's, you know, really knowing your topics really well, understanding it, understanding how to run a business and all those kinds of things. And then for me, I really love sharing my very, very much large passion for living a life of freedom, for building an online business, for not having a slave and be in the office all hours of the day and thinking that that only that one method of working is what you can have in your life. I truly, truly am a huge advocate of that. And that is what I think is a big part of the mindset is really believing that you don't have to follow the status quo and what you thought when you were a kid, you're going to have this job, you know, maybe that you don't. And that's okay. What new could become in that way? Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I like how you looked at the experiences of when you were in those places working for those kind of things, you're, you're using them and you're learning there versus like, Oh Jesus, it's a job. Oh, this sucks. Oh, I'm unhappy versus like, man, this is an opportunity for me just to add to my toolkit and to get better. Exactly. Exactly. Man. I agree. Yeah. God. Well, I've taken almost two hours, I think a little over based on our pre-conversation. Um, two hours of your time, wow. which I feel you would have charged me three hundred an hour, maybe three fifty. <laughs> Dude, I can't thank you enough, Jen, for coming on and just like, honestly, just sharing and letting me ask you questions. Um, and I, I, I know like, and again, me being like a shitty podcast host, um, the whole best for last thing I try to do. But when you started talking, I just was thinking about the people I've interacted with. And so many people are trying to do this online mental health thing. Um, and I think it's great that they can hear from someone who's successful and done a bunch of shit that they can get a little bit of insight to that. Um, so I really thank you for just opening up about that um, and giving some thank great you. advice. You can feel free to reach out to me anytime, anyone who's listening or yourself, Sean, for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jen. Um, enjoy the rest of your night. What do you got going on? Like a 30-minute sauna with a 40-mile hike and then um, 20 <laughs> minutes of weird core planks? Something like that. I have to check the weather right now. I think it's about 105 here. No, 108. Oh my God. Seriously? No hikes right now. Yeah, it's 108 right now. I know. So we'll be in the pool though. We'll be in the pool with no heater on the pool. The pool's in the 80s, high 80s. So it's pretty sweet. 
Yeah, that sounds glorious. And then ice cream afterwards? Will you just like oh, a pint yes, of ice cream? Oh, yes, actually. We've been walking. We found a new walkable ice cream shop for the kids. So they're super happy. Oh, God. See, that that's the way to do it. And again, like, let, let's be clear. Ice cream afterwards. It's okay. <laughs> ice cream always. It's okay. No doubt. Jen, man, thank you so much. It was great getting to know you. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Likewise, Sean. Take care. Good luck. Looking forward to talking again. Yeah, absolutely. Bye. Huge thanks to Jen for coming on the pod and making my wannabe masculine ass feel empowered and beautiful from the inside out. Please follow Jen Oliver. She is fucking legit. Check her out. And if there are any basketball heads that are still listening, follow her husband, Chris Oliver, as well for some of the best basketball breakdowns of plays to use for your squad. Seriously, the fucking arrows, the cues, like everything this dude posts, he'll win you at least a game or two. Just fucking follow it, friend it, like it. (laughs) You're going to get buckets. Um... Thanks to Can Openers for sponsoring today's pod and allowing our society to become sedentary. Remember, there's no longer a need to gorge because there's plenty more in store for your satisfaction. Thanks to a can opener. Please, friend, follow, subscribe, rate, review, any fucking effort that you give our pod at this point through social media is appreciated by those of us working here at the pod. Thank you for your support. Deuces.